We're continuing in our study through the book of Romans. This morning we're in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to take the first half of the chapter this morning. I'm going to talk about faith, a faith that actually works. Recently, in Massachusetts, the Bar Association of the Lawyers Journal, there were a list of various questions that lawyers have been known to ask in court. Here is one such list of questions that a lawyer asked. He's questioning a doctor who's giving his testimony and his expert opinion. Question, doctor, before you performed the autopsy, did you check to see if there was a pulse? Answer, no. Well, did you check for blood pressure? No. Did you check for breathing? No then it is possible that the patient was alive when you began your autopsy. No. How can you be sure, doctor? Because his brain was sitting on my desk in a jar. But couldn't the patient been alive nevertheless? Well, it is possible that the patient could still have been alive and practicing law somewhere. Listen. Just as the body is dead without a brain, so faith is dead without works. Romans chapter 4, 1 through 17, kind of pushes that idea to the forefront in Paul's thinking. And even though the idea of faith being dead without works comes from the book of James, it is something that Paul talks about in other terms and in other ways, and especially here in Romans chapter 4. If you would turn with me, Romans chapter 4, verse 1, you know, verse 1 through uh, verse 17 this morning, and I'm going to read out of the NIV, the New International Version this morning. This is what it says in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, To the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then... He is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness may be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. 
It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value, and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Before we jump into this, let's just stop and pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to come before you humble this morning, humble by your amazing grace that we just sang about, grace that combines with faith that brings about the greatest treasure of all, a relationship with you, a relationship through your Son, a relationship empowered by your Holy Spirit. It is the greatest gift. It is the source of our life. It is the wealth of our abundant life. It is all about just having a relationship with you. Father, help us to see this morning through the words of Paul how our faith works together with what you prompt us to do through the Holy Spirit, that the two are entwined together. In Jesus' name, amen. Moses wrote about Abraham. You do realize that what's written about Genesis was not written in Abraham's day. It was written hundreds of years later by Moses, the lawgiver. Moses is credited with writing the first five books of our Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. Penta meaning five, okay? Tuk meaning books, okay? The idea, the first five books are all accredited to a man named Moses, who wrote them far after the time that Abraham lived. Moses writes of Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what is that righteousness thing? Well, in the Hebrew, it's tetzakwah. From the Old Testament, it means righteousness in an abstract way, in a subjective way, in an objective way, and in every other way that you can think of it, it basically means morally right before God. It also has and carries the meaning, which is kind of singular to Judaism alone, that it is prosperity. Righteousness and prosperity are actually the same word, just translated in different contexts differently. In the Jewish mindset, righteousness was connected to prosperity. In other words, to, to prosper was to live connected to God in a right fashion. It does not mean that to live righteously before God will bring prosperity. It means that righteousness before God is its own prosperity. Faith is not works. However, Works can be an expression of faith. You need to understand that concept as we move forward. Faith is not works. However, works can be an expression of faith. Abraham did as God asked him to do. By faith, 
What he did was accredited to him as righteousness. He packed up his family and he moved from his hometown to a land where he was not known, a land that he didn't even know himself because God had promised to make Abraham great. Did you catch that? God had promised to make Abraham great. And God is good to his word. And Abraham, in faith, believed that God would be good to his word. So, in faith, he moved. That is the action. Faith is always tied to an action. Genesis 12, 1 gives us the background, the story behind what Paul is talking about. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, by the way, at that point in his life, before he was circumcised, his name was Abram, not Abraham. That came after circumcision. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. A couple of things you need to see here. First, in order for Abram to be blessed of God, he had to actually connect to God, right? There's a principle there for our lives. In order to be blessed by God, he had to connect with God. What would have happened if God came calling and Abraham wasn't listening? I know that that sounds a little strange, but I believe it happens more often than not that God comes calling, the Holy Spirit comes tapping on our lives, and we're really not paying much attention. Faith, expressed in obedience, requires that we do two things. First, that we hear from God, and second, we act upon what we hear. That really is the second thing that I want you to see here. Faith is not faith if it's only hearing. Folks, faith is not faith if it's only hearing. If Abram had heard God and understood God but failed to go, would he have been found righteous by God? If we believe James in the New Testament then the answer is a stunning no. Listen to what James has to say in James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, no actions to go along with that faith? Can such a faith actually save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Listen, even the demons believe that and shudder. James' point is very clear here. Faith needs an expression. Actually, faith needs two things. It needs an object, and then it needs an expression. Depending on the object of your faith, I can have a lot of faith in me, okay? Still not going to get me anywhere. Having 
the right object of your faith is really important. But it also needs action. It needs expression. James goes on to say, You foolish man, do you want evidence that your faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend, which is what was written, uh, shared with us this morning from Isaiah. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith, if not acted upon, is dead faith. I said last week that there was no creed that you could quote, which is religion, by the way, no prayer you could speak that would grant you eternal life. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. Listen carefully. If you are saved, there will be, not should be, there will be evidence of your salvation in your life through your works. It will show up in your deeds. It will show up in your demeanor. It will show up in the way that you live. It will transform your life. That's what faith does. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Why? Verse 4, so Abraham left as the Lord told him. Abraham did what God said. He was obedient. He followed God's leading. He did what God said to do. It's called being faithful or full of faith. It is what faith is about. Okay, so works won't save you, right? Are we agreed? Uh, okay, we're, we're, apparently we're not agreed. Are we agreed? Yes. All right. Okay, good. I'm, I just want to make sure because if, if I need to go back over that, I'll go back over that. I don't want to, Bo. Works don't save you. But God's grace with your faith will, right? That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. And faith is demonstrated in works, right? Okay. So where does that leave the very next verse in our passage? In verse 4, Paul says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't we say that faith was involved with works? But Paul says that, wait a minute, the man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Okay, it's starting to get kind of confusing, huh? Okay, sounds like Paul is saying that only faith without works is credited as righteousness. Yes, exactly. Okay, now you're really confusing me, right? Faith, folks, does not equal works. Works does not equal faith. Works are not faith. Faith is only demonstrated in works. Get that? In other words, works are the outflow. 
the natural byproduct of real faith. Hopefully, you got up this morning and you came here not because you were looking for brownie points with God, but because this faith relationship that you have with God moved you to get out of bed and come and worship the one who gave you life. Right? God moved you. Folks, that is faith with works. Your faith in God, your relationship with your creator moves you to do what is right, what he commands. It's like it moved Abraham. Would he have been credited with righteousness had he not had that kind of faith where he moved in obedience? No, he wouldn't have. But works doesn't save you. Works is only the byproduct. It's the outflow of a faith that saves. Listen, if you came this morning to worship, to score brownie points with God, or to do your duty, I have bad news for you. It didn't work. It never will. God is never obligated. We're obligated to him, but he is never obligated to us. We move because he moves us. I was asked this morning about our church planting thing, and, and, I, and, I, and I told the person, you know, I'm going to talk about that this morning, because it falls right in with Abraham. We came here to plant a church. We had other places that we visited before we came to Santa Maria to plant a church. So why come to Santa Maria? Especially when we went to a place called Sparks, Nevada. It's just over the border of California into Nevada, next to Reno. And we met a, a church planter there that had been there for five years, and he had a church of 1,200 people already. And he invited us to come, and he said, Scott, I'll give you an office in my building. I'll let you preach to my people. And when you're ready to launch your church, you can take as many with you as will go. That's an incredible offer. You stop and think about it. He had planted two small churches out of his church already, and both of those pastors left with over 100 people. He'd done the same thing. And when we left our meeting with him, Jan and I were going, yeah, boy, this is a great way to plant a church. I think we want to do this. Besides the fact that we totally connected with him and his wife. We had a lot of the same background. We just fell in love with one another right away. It was great. We stayed the night at their house, and we just had great time with them. The next day, we were going to Sunday services at one of his church plants out of his church, another pastor. And that pastor took us out to lunch afterwards, and he asked us a question that really made us come up short. Why are you coming here? Well, because we're, we're following God's lead. Well, why are you coming here? You're from California, right? Yeah, we are. Uh, you own a house in California? Yes, we do. Well, why are you coming here? People like us, we can't afford to move to California. It's too expensive. You already own a home. California needs churches. Why are you coming here? And, and it felt, it, it, at the moment, it was like, you don't want us here? What did we do wrong? Do you not like Californians in Nevada? I thought you liked us. We went away from that meeting going, ah, don't, what, what's going on here? And on the way home, we had already visited Santa Maria. It was the first place we came. On the way home, I had to have a serious conversation with God. 
what's going on, God? We thought this was the perfect place and the perfect way to plant a church. And now it's not feeling like this is what you have for us. And I very distinctly heard God tell me, are you planting your church or mine? You see, I was afraid of this. I was afraid of coming to Santa Maria. Talked about fear this morning. <laughs> I was afraid to come to Santa Maria. Why? Because Santa Maria was what they call a parachute drop. I didn't know a soul here. I was like Abraham, going without knowing. I didn't know anybody. Abraham was headed to a land. He didn't have any connections. I didn't want to come to Santa Maria because it was, well, it was a parachute drop. I didn't know the first thing about starting a church without any people. But you know what? I had to answer that question honestly. Is this about me or is it about God? Am I going to move in faith, believing? Am I going to be like Abraham and go without knowing? That's why this church exists today, folks. Because we made the choice to move by faith. I'm not saying that was easy. I'm not saying it didn't come with a whole lot of hardships and a whole lot of trials. It did. But I wouldn't trade any of them. Not a single one. For what we're experiencing now and what we're looking forward to as we move forward. I didn't come here to plant a church so I could score points with God. I came because my faith in his calling on my life, like Abraham, made coming here a no-brainer for me. Any other response for me would have been disobedience, which is sin. It would have been the same thing for Abraham, and it's the same thing for you as well. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, I know this may sound harsh, but there's just simple truth to it. So grab onto this. If you had chosen to stay in bed this morning, or do whatever else you might have done and not come here, not come and worship God, not spent time loving on one another, all that other stuff that comes with being here together. If you would have just dismissed that, yes, that would have been sin. It's just simple truth. Would it send you to hell? No. No. That's, you know, it's about the song we sang, grace, okay? That's why we need grace because, well, our sins aren't accounted against us because of Jesus' sacrifice for us. But make no mistake, sin does have consequence, folks. It always does. What if Abraham chose not to go where God was leading him? Would the Jewish nation have not existed? No. God would have found someone else, and that someone else would have been the father of the Jewish nation. His name would have been Harry or whatever, you know, it just wouldn't have been Abraham. God would not have changed his plan to save us. He knew what he wanted. He was just looking for somebody who would step out in faith and get it done. Before Abraham, the Jews didn't exist. Abraham was actually from the land of the Chaldeans. He was Chaldean. He wasn't Jewish. God called him out of that in order to have a people of his own that a Messiah could be born so that we could have Jesus. It's the same with us. We can say no to God's leading, but there are consequences. We miss out on the blessings that God would release 
through us, that God would bring to us. Paul speaks of this by quoting King David in verse 6 of our passage. It says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Again, that blessed means happy. Actually, it means extremely happy. If you want to go so far as to say hilariously happy, that would still be correct. Ridiculously happy is the man whose sins will never be counted against him. That is happy on the level you can't get any happier. When we move in faith to God's leading, it is credited to us as righteousness, not because works, because It is by faith that we move. That moving in faith brings blessing. Moses wrote about Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed the Lord. It was credited to him as righteousness. That credit brought blessing into his life. I believe that Paul includes verses 9 through 12 of our passage to back up all that he said about the Jews versus the Gentiles in chapter 3, that faith is faith apart from your background, apart from your bloodlines, apart from your culture. Righteousness that is by faith doesn't have boundaries. It only has opportunities. Why is that important to us? Again, it's one of those issues that doesn't seem to have bearing on the church like ours. We don't have Jewish people that I'm aware of in our congregation but it still has import for us. Why? Well, let me ask you. Have you ever considered something you see in Scripture, something I've perhaps challenged you to do from Scripture, maybe even something the Holy Spirit has prompted you to do and dismissed it with a, well, who am I to do that response? Maybe you were feeling a little bit inadequate, ill-equipped, without the requisite talent or education for that task. So you didn't respond to the prompting, or you ignored it. Maybe you even tried, but you failed in it. Listen, some things you need to know. First, trying is succeeding. The effort is the success. Stepping out in faith and moving in faith is success in and of itself. We celebrate risk here, not results. If you risk... That's worth a celebration, no matter what happens. My friend Charlie died this week. As my friend, my former boss, my former senior pastor, my mentor in learning how to preach, his passing hit Jan and I really hard. It happened so suddenly, and it made me think, what would happen to this church if I were not here If God moved me somewhere else, or like Charlie, God took me home, would the church continue? If it didn't, would it be called a a failed church plant? Now, I know that sounds a little morbid, but bear with me. I have a point to make here. It would never be a failure. We risked and we moved together, all of us, in faith. And that is always rewarded because that is always success, folks. Risk is success. People got saved. 
lots of people got saved. More people have been saved in the last nine years since I've been here in my life that I've led to the Lord than in all my years of being a Christian before that. People got saved. People were baptized into God's forever family. Some of you are sitting here right now. A lot of the people got saved, got saved through that radio program that we had for three years. I'll never meet those people personally, but it still changed their lives. People got freedom, set free from lies and wounds that were making their life hell on earth. People got hope. And folks, that is worth celebrating because that is success. Let me add this thought. While I'm not planning to go anywhere, okay, you got that? Not planning to go anywhere, okay? Neither was Charlie. I think it was the 26th of January, Charlie preached a message on eternity. It's one of the best messages I've ever heard him preach. We got to listen to it the other day as the church posted it on their website and we downloaded it. It was kind of weird to hear his voice again, but it was a great sermon because he's a great preacher. Kind of appropriate, I guess. But that's, that's what happened. The next week, he got the H1N1 virus, put him in the hospital. They let him go home for a day or two. He got pneumonia, went back to the hospital, and he never left. While I'm not planning to go anywhere, neither was Charlie. And I don't want to leave this next part unsaid to you. Should something happen in my life to take me away from here, I challenge you to keep going. Keep on, keep on going. Whether it's with Pastor Craig leading or someone else, keep going, keep walking, keep pursuing more of God. There is a dream of a church with a full array of ministries that impact this community, this state, this country, this planet. It's a big dream because it's a God dream. God doesn't do small dreams. Let me prove it to you. He promised to make Abraham the father of many nations, right? That's what it says in verse 17 of our, our passage. He promised to make Abraham the father of many nations. The word nations in the Greek is ethnos. It's where we get our word ethnic. It means peoples. Specifically, it means non-Jewish people. Paul is talking about Abraham being the father of many peoples, not just the Jews. It's a big promise. It's a big dream. Don't ever get discouraged. Don't give up. God will bring to pass what he has willed as we step out in faith and in faithfulness keep going for more of him. Remember, he is the rewarder of those who seek him, and that's a promise. Which brings me to the last thing in this passage I want you to see this morning. The promise that's contained here. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. You know that last line, this whole thing's a promise, but that last line, 
the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were, that line gets used and interpreted in a lot of strange ways. It really has only one clear meaning. It is a statement of faith in God who is faithful to his promises. You see, God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, many peoples. Today, you and I, we are a part of that promise fulfilled. When the promise was given to Abraham, the scripture says in Genesis, he was already 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, was well beyond childbearing age and barren to that point. They had no children. God called Abraham a father of many nations when being a father wasn't even on the table anymore, at least in human terms. But that didn't stop God, and it didn't stop Abraham and Sarah. It is God calling that which is not as though it were. Let me bring this home to us. I look around me this morning. We're almost 10 years in this church plant. This year, we will complete our, our 10th year come October. And even if we were all here this morning, we'd only number 50 to 60 people. Not very many considering the dream of a church that will impact and change the world. After almost 10 years, we don't even have a building of our own yet. But none of that matters to a God who calls things that are not as though they were. You understand that? By the way, keep praying for the building. It's coming. I know that it's coming. And I believe with all of my heart, it's coming this year. I, I, I don't know how to explain that, okay? But I believe that it is coming this year. I just thought I'd share that. Amen. amen. That's right. Do you know what amen means? So be, it. so be it, okay? Speaking of what is not as though it were. That's what amen means. Listen, I believe that there is great reward in faithfulness, and we have been faithful. In this life and the life to come, there is great reward. Charlie's lifelong mission statement for himself and for the two churches that I know that he pastored, okay, the one I was in and then the one that, that he's pastored for the last nine years now, Charlie's lifelong mission statement was to know Jesus and to make him known. Had that same mission statement at Morgan Hill Bible 15 years ago when I first went to that church. Actually, it's longer than that now, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Anyways, Charlie stood before Jesus this week, and he heard those words from Matthew, chapter 25, verse 23, well done, good and faithful servant. Come. Come into your master's happiness, his joy. Charlie was faithful. Part of the reward was to see all the lives that were changed as he allowed the Holy Spirit to work through him. Hundreds and hundreds of lives changed over the years, including the one that stands before you this morning. That is reward in the here and now. Then to see Jesus face to face, that is the reward to come. The one Charlie now knows personally, and we will all know in due time.
It's the same for all of us, folks. Had I not come to Santa Maria, I would not know you, and my life would be less for not being obedient. But I was, and so I am, blessed beyond measure for knowing you. It is my privilege to be your pastor, and I intend to keep on going on this journey with you until we turn this town right side up for Jesus. Don't miss out. The best is yet to come. Keep on in faithfulness. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen, faith that moves mountains is a faith that first takes a step. It moves. It moves in obedience to what God has called us to do. It is faith that is demonstrated by what we do. Hebrews 11 says this, and I close with this passage. Without faith, folks, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of that same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder's God. Listen, that day is coming too, and we will see the city that God builds, just like Charlie. Until then, we have the abundant privilege of being able to see the reward God has for us right here and right now as we step out in faith and we do what faith demands. We call those things into being that are not as though they were, and we move in that faith until those promises are realized, and then we move in the next level and the next level after that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for people like Abraham who decided to be faithful, who went without knowing, giving us a template for our faith, giving us a picture of what it means to be accredited with righteousness before you, a righteousness that comes through faith because we were faithful in the same way, I thank you for my friend Charlie. And we pray for his family, the wife, the boys and their wives, his grandchildren, all those people that are left behind now to pick up pieces without ever really knowing exactly why but moving despite that in faith because it's what you called us to. And we will celebrate with Charlie someday 
all that you've done in and through us as we receive our reward from you. As we hear those words, good and faithful, enter into your master's joy. Thank you, Father, that you give us people like Abraham and people like Paul to challenge us, to move us, to get us excited about what's coming. Because that really is what this is about. It is what is coming. It's, it's about what we can't see yet, but we claim in faith believing because that's the kind of God you are. We claim the promises. We claim the vision and the dream for this church. We even claim the building that's coming because you are faithful. And in turn, we are faithful to you. Father, thank you, God, for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.